gracious God in heaven, we, your children, we rest in Christ Jesus. Father, as we gather today and as we sing and as we open your word, as we come to know Christ more, may we rest more and more in Christ Jesus. And Father, that those who know not Christ have no rest. May they see Him clearly today. Look to Him for the salvation of their souls. Father, be glorified. May Christ be magnified in the preaching and listening to Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. Guests. Today is a wonderful holiday. It is the Lord's Day. It is, it is a day which is set apart for us to gather together and to worship the one true triune God of all. Today is Lord's Day. We're, we're actually going to have an, a, another special thing happen. We are going to be baptizing one of God's elect and celebrating what he has done in, in Maddie's life. And uh, I don't want that to go unnoticed. And because we're going to be doing that, and my pre-sermon is going to be fairly brief. Um, but I want us to consider something that I was contemplating this week. And actually, in God's providence, as Pastor Nick read the psalm this morning, we saw what we saw this morning. It, it, it just goes more to what I wanted to have us to think about. Anxiety and worry are the best barometer of the trust you have in the sovereignty of God. Okay? Anxiety and worry are the best barometer of the trust that you or I have in the sovereignty of God. More anxiety and worry, less trust in God's goodness and His being in full control of all things. More anxiety and worry, I'm sorry, less anxiety and worry is more trust in God's omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence. And I want, I want, I want to, I'm going to move on. I'm not going to spend much time here, but I really want us to think about that. Anxiousness and worry is the best barometer for your level of trust in God, in His sovereignty, in His goodness, in His control over all things. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. <laughs> Anxiety and worry is not healthy. We, we, we experience physiological issues in our anxiety and worry. And... and uh, the amount of anxiety and worry that you that we tolerate in our lives or that we make excuse for in our lives is simply not understanding as pastor nick took us through the psalm this morning god is for us beloved god is working all things for our good so why be anxious and worry if we believe that 
I, I've, I've pastored for a while now, and I've pastored some of you for a while now, and then everybody has ebbs and flows in these things. But some are more anxious and worrisome than others, and I want you to know, trust in God's sovereignty. And the anxious and the worry will dissipate. Okay, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We're going over what's called the Lord's Prayer by many, and I guess for the good of the guests, I like to call it the model prayer because it's a prayer that that Jesus modeled. He said, don't pray these words, vain repetition, but here's here's the template, here's the pattern with which you ought to be praying. And because we're being taught by Jesus himself in the written word of God, by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit on how to pray, it would, be, it would be doing us well to listen, to learn, and to be transformed in how we actually pray. To actually listen, Christ himself in the written word of God via the Holy Spirit working in us that we would actually be transformed in the way we pray when we commune with God in prayer. So please stand and I'll read, I'll read verses 1 through 4. And we'll just be in the beginning part of verse 4 today. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. You may be seated. So, the Word of God is, is a big deal. And everything contained in it is useful for reproof and correction and training in righteousness. But, but I really think that today's sermon, it's a big deal. Uh, I think all of this model prayer is a big deal, but I, I particularly, again, from my perspective, from my experience as a Christian, as a pastor, this is a really big deal. It's a big deal because it's kind of confusing, but I don't think it needs to be. And it's a big deal because we're told something inside of this that we ought to be praying for and that we ought to be doing. Forgiveness is the greatest need of every human being. Because why? Sin is our greatest problem. So because sin is our greatest problem, forgiveness is our greatest need. We have no greater need. Now, in the physical realm, we need air, we need food, we need water, we need heat. So in the physical realm, we need things to be alive physically, yes? So those are great needs, and, and we actually were just taught how to pray about those. Give us just enough for today talking about physical needs, but, but a far greater need than anything physical is for our eternal soul, and that's the forgiveness of our sins. That's the greatest need of every human being. It's a far greater need than air and water and food. Because sin is our greatest problem, the forgiveness of our sins is ultimately our only need I would, I would also say that a lack of forgiveness is, is a, a, one of the main reasons. I, I'm going to stop short of saying the main reason because I don't think that's necessarily true. But one of the main reasons for any 
personal strife that we have, any relational issues that we have, is a lack of forgiveness. In my pastorate, the most miserable people I deal with are those who are withholding forgiveness. Bar none. Whether it's you in a moment or somebody who lives their lots. When I pastor you all, or some some live their lots, and some of you in and out of it, but, but I can assure you the most miserable people I pastor are those who are withholding forgiveness. And they don't even know it sometimes. They don't even know it. So, so this thing about this, it's, it's both in here. It's both in what Jesus is teaching us to pray. So let's, let's consider forgiveness of sins in the model prayer. Remember, this is, a, this is a template for regular prayer. So as a regular part of our lives, we should be praying to our Father. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We are to be asking God to forgive us our sins. Our sins. Hamartia. Missing the mark. Sin, wrongdoing, being evil. The word hamartia, it means to miss the mark. Forgive us for missing the mark. What's the mark? You know, the bullseye conversation. The bullseye is what we're to hit. And, and we are to hit the bullseye of holiness, of perfection. And we shoot our arrows and they go everywhere. We miss the mark and we are to be seeking forgiveness for missing the mark ongoingly. And then we are to forgive those who are indebted to us. The word there is a failure. To owe, to be in debt, ought, be obligatory in view of some moral requirement, sin against someone. So again, it's another word for sin, but, it, but it, indebtedness. It's we owe someone something. So someone owes us something. Someone has wronged us. We're to be forgiving them. Again, these, these words for sin that we see in the New Testament, there's, there's a number of words that get used. Hamartia, the first one we looked at, that's used 215 times in the New Testament. Usually, when we see the word sin, it's that word, missing the mark. There's the word we just looked at, aphelo. It, it is used 35 times. There's other words like paroptima. It means to intentionally cross a boundary or a line. We see that in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. It's used 19 times. It's to unintentionally, I don't know if I said intentionally, it's to unintentionally cross a boundary or line. So in, we're going to look at Matthew 6, 14 and 15 in a little bit, but people unintentionally cross boundaries against us. Well, we're to forgive them. Another word, parabasis, it's to intentionally disobey. So another way, to break a law, transgression, to intentionally go over a line, that's used in Hebrews 2, 2. It's used seven times. Anomia, without law, to live lawlessly. We see that used 15 times. So, so all of these used words, these words that are used for sins, all the ways we rebel against God, and, and we know that we all do these things, and we have these things done to us. We miss the mark. We owe God for, for violating His moral law. We cross over boundaries unintentionally or intentionally. We, we violate God's law. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the truth of every human being. Every human being sin and miss the mark. Every single human being misses the mark, that bullseye that Jesus hit perfectly for 33 years, never missed. 
we never hit, ever. So we sin. So please forgive us our sins. The word there is afiami. It means to dismiss, have go away, forgive, cancel a debt, blot out. We are to be praying. This is the aorist tense, imperative mood. It means ongoingly we are to be praying or commanding or exhorting that God would forgive us of our sins. Because we miss the mark. We step over the lines. Now we, we know that only God can, can forgive us our sins. Isaiah 43, 25. This is who God is. I, I am He who blots out your transgressions. For my own sake, I will not remember your sins. God blots out your transgressions. He will not remember the sins of His people. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yahweh has laid the sins of his people on his son and crucified him to pay for those sins. God forgives sin. He forgives sinners. We are to be praying that he would forgive us our sins. Ongoingly, continually. Psalm 85, 2, you forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. The blood of Jesus covered the sin of your people. As far as from the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. God removes our transgressions from us. And we all know this, but there's a North Pole and there's a South Pole, yes? So it's not as far as the North is to the South because there's an ending point. It's East to West. There's no ending. As far as the East is from the West, He forgives us our sins. Micah seven eighteen. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of His inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. This is what God does with our sins. He casts them into the depths of the sea. As far as the east is from the west, he removes them. He blots them out. This is the God we pray to. This is the God who pardons us from the penalty of sin, who who passes over our sins, who has compassion on us, who tramples our iniquities underfoot, who, who casts our sins away, tosses them away. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Down to verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God sent his perfectly sinless son, Jesus of Nazareth, to the earth to be crushed under his wrath to pay the penalty for our sins. Anyone, just listen, anyone who earnestly seeks the forgiveness of their sins, for their sins, in and through the person of Jesus Christ, will be 
delivered from the penalty of those sins. Anyone in here, if you earnestly seek the forgiveness of God to be found in and through Jesus Christ, you will be forgiven of your sins. I'm telling you the truth. Believe into Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven. God is the only one who can forgive sins. And he can do away with them. So we pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Whose father is God? Only his adopted children. That's who Jesus is instructing on how to pray. He's instructing believers on how to pray. Do believers need their sins forgiven? Aren't they already forgiven? This is confusing. Yes? Can be? Ongoingly needing forgiveness of their sins. Kind of like the Roman Mass. Christ crucified over and over again to pay for the sins. Do we need to, do we need forgiveness for our sins ongoingly? We're told to pray for the forgiveness of our sins ongoingly. Ephesians 1 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. We have redemption. This is something we already possess. Forgiveness of sins is already done. You, in Christ, if you are in Christ, through His blood, you already have the forgiveness of your sins. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave, Past tense, you. Because you already are forgiven, you are instructed ongoingly to forgive others. But you are already forgiven. So why do I have to keep praying forgiveness for my sins if I'm already forgiven? Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, right now, right now, ever, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 John 2.12, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. God's adopted children, those in the kingdom of God via Jesus Christ, are forgiven for our sins present, our sins past, and our sins future. Forgiven. It is finished. Romans 4.7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. We are blessed because all of our sins are forgiven and covered and will not be counted against us. It's done. Colossians 2, 13 through 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. 
By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. At the cross, my trespasses, brothers and sisters, your trespasses, your sins, were nailed to the cross and forgiven. Even the ones you'll commit tomorrow, already forgiven. Hebrews 10, 10. And by that, we will have been sanctified. That is a perfect tense. It's a completed action. Okay, so by that, by that sacrifice, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Okay, once for all, we have already been sanctified. It is a completed action. So, Corey, you're already sanctified. It's completed. It's done. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. So, no ongoing mass. There's no, you, don't, you don't need to continue to make sacrifices because they can never take away your sins. Your sins have been taken away at the cross. They're gone. Done away. East is west. Dumped on. Trampled on. Finished. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. There the word is in the present tense active voice. It's an ongoing action. So, Corey, you have been sanctified. It is a completed action. You have been set apart as God's chosen person as his elect to be in glory with him to be then be being sanctified you will continue to be going in your holiness because you have been set apart apart so you've been set apart positionally and now practically you're being made more holy but but make no mistake just as I would not make a sacrifice for sins in a Catholic Mass, I don't seek forgiveness for my sins to be saved again. Because I didn't become unsaved. But clearly I'm to be praying for forgiveness of my sins. We do not pray to be forgiven unto salvation. But we do pray to our Father for the forgiveness of our sins. We are forgiven already as it pertains to our justification. We are already justified. But now look at 1 John 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light... We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We have sin still. In Romans chapter 7, Paul deals with this reality of sin in his life. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. 
So verse 9, if we confess our sins. Okay? Father, forgive us our sins. Real quick again, I want to make sure. Not forgive me my sins. Forgive us our sins. We make confessions on Lord Day evening. Tamara makes a confession. I pray for her. Forgive us our sins. The one that Sister Tamara gave testimony to. The one Sister Sarah did. Mine. Forgive us our sins. If we confess our sins. If part of our prayer is not confessing our sins to the Father and seeking forgiveness for them, do we not have them? Are you without sin? Are you seeking forgiveness for particular sins particularly? You see, this is a template for prayer. It's not what you say. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive my son for his sins of immorality that he's given testimony to. Forgive my brother for his sin of a shortness with his wife. Forgive my sister for a lack of submission to her husband. Forgive us for our sins. Are you seeking God's forgiveness for your particular sins particularly? We're told to. We're told to. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. They're forgiven. Yep. And He will forgive those sins as we confess them. Already forgiven. Forgiven in real time as we confess them. And what else? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These confessions of sin... Seeking God's forgiveness will grow us in holiness. As we agree with God that they're sinful and we seek His forgiveness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We do not need to seek forgiveness for our sins to be saved from the wrath of God. That's done. That's finished. We seek forgiveness for our sins to be cleansed and to be sanctified. And we we seek forgiveness for our sins not because they risk our salvation, but because they cause relational issues with God. Our sins cause, our unconfessed sins cause a relational issue with God. A separation from God, if you will. Not a permanent separation. Pastor Nick references again in our confession. Look, there's times in a believer's life where they're in sin. And they're separated from the, from the kindness of God. They, they, they are not experiencing joy and comfort and peace. And, and yet, their eternity is set if they're in Christ. But temporally, there's a disconnect. <laughs> Forgive us our sins today, ongoingly. 
My sin has me separated from you, God. Brother Tony's confession of sin has him separated. Forgive him, Father. Restore to him the joy of his salvation. If I'm naming your name, it's not because you're in particular trouble. You're just in front of me, okay? For those that are here as guests, what you may think of that. Our sins cause relational issues with God, not in eternity. That's set, believer, but right now. Right now, they cause relational conflict. Does that make sense to you? Because if you get confused, why would a believer have to seek forgiveness for his or her sins? Because they're already forgiven. Right. Done. Eternity set. Growing in holiness? Necessary. Confession to be cleansed. Confession to say the same thing as God. This relationship. God, I confess these sins to you and I seek your forgiveness. This particular sin particularly. You know, it's one thing to say, boy, I just have a love of the world. It's another thing to say, I spent $5,000 last week on stuff that just was going to give me pleasure for three days. There's one thing to say, God, I have idolatry of food. It's another thing to say, God, forgive me for eating so much that I was sick to my stomach all of last week. I didn't say eating a sin for necessarily sinful, but I'm trying to say is there are particular sins that we do particularly that we need to seek forgiveness for. Uh, Please forgive me, Father, for being harsh to my wife. Father, when I called my wife, when I yelled at my wife and told her she's she's never helpful to me, forgive me, Father. Forgive me for my particular sins particularly. Forgive my sister for particular sins particularly that she confesses to. And even the ones she doesn't. Even the ones I don't. So we're to pray. We're to pray ongoingly to forgive us of our sins. And then this, this, this is the part that you're going to get clarity on, I hope. Forgive us as we forgive everyone. Ongoingly forgive us of our sins. And, and that petition to forgive us our sins is tied to something. It's a conditional petition. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. The word for there is gar. It means because. A marker for showing cause or reason for something. Listen, it's a marker for showing cause or reason for something. So because is a more, this day and age, English translation that would make more sense in our heads. It would say, and forgive us our sins because we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Father, forgive us our sins because as a consequence of us forgiving everyone who sins against us, everyone who owes us. Because they have trespassed us. 
Remember, the model prayer that Jesus is teaching twice, 18 months ago in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, he makes this even more clear. Matthew six fourteen, For if you forgive other their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Is that saying, if you don't forgive people, God's going to take back the forgiveness that He gave you in Christ and you're going to become unsaved? Of course not. Of course that's not what He's saying. He is saying, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Already forgiven eternally, what are you talking about? Right now. Right now, the trespasses that you're committing, the sins you're committing, that you're, because you're unforgiving of others, you're going to be miserable. As you're not going to be receiving or experiencing the forgiveness of God. It's very conditional. If you forgive others, God forgives you. If you don't, He won't. Not salvifically relationally. There will be a withholding of forgiveness which will make you miserable. It's very clear. We know that those who are in Christ are praying to their Father in heaven can never be condemned nor forsaken. We're not praying as if we could possibly lose our salvation if we don't forgive these sins. Because we forgive, you forgive us, Father. Yes, Absolutely. We can experience a a temporal lack of forgiveness from God as we ourselves are unwilling to forgive. It's why what I said before, the most miserable people I pastor are those who are holding on to unforgiveness. The condemnation that comes into their their hearts, into their minds, the the fear, the, the, I won't forgive, and yet I do know I'm a sinner. And I won't forgive. How could I possibly expect God to forgive me? Be relationally good with me? I'm not concerned about my salvation necessarily, although if you have no ability to forgive, you will not and cannot at all ever. You don't know Christ. In the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Matthew 7, 2, For with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. You will receive in your life the measure of forgiveness from God that you are extending to others. Now, your sins are forgiven. Yes, if you're in Christ, they've been nailed to the cross. Not, we're not talking about your eternal soul. We're talking about temporary, your life temporary. You will receive in your life the measure of forgiveness from God that you are extending to others. It is miserable to live in unforgiveness. Some of you are listening. and ah, I don't struggle with that. We do. We do. And it's miserable. You can't even identify it sometimes. Talking about weeks and weeks of conversation with people, they can finally see who it is they're not forgiving or what it is they're not forgiving. Might be Uncle Sam from age seven. It might be your husband or your wife or your child, your parent. 
But it is miserable to live in unforgiveness. Forgive us, Father, as we forgive those indebted to us in this, because we do. Matthew 5, 44, But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your fathers in heaven for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. One of the many ways that we love our enemies is to forgive them and be kind to them and be the common grace of God in their lives. Look, Colossians 3.12, this is really important practically. Put Colossians 3.12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. You must also forgive. If one has a complaint against another, even if that's a legitimate complaint, because people do sin against us, don't they? They really do. And we them. But they really sin against us. I have a valid complaint against someone who sinned against me. You know what I'm supposed to do with that? Forget. You know what I must do with that? Forgive them. That's what I must do. And if I won't do that, I'm going to go actually pray to God that he would forgive my sins of yelling at my wife when I won't forgive my wife for being rebellious to me? Forgiving you, you, you must. It's not if you don't, you'll lose your salvation. That's not what's being told us here. He's telling Christians how to live. And it's a must. It's a very strong Admonition, it's a, it's, a, it's a command, it's an order. Because if you don't, you're going to be miserable as God withholds his temporary forgiveness from you. They are directly tied together by Jesus himself. Bearing with another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Listen, there may be somebody in your life, in this room, that has actually sinned against you in a very real way that is a valid complaint. Here's what you must do if you want to be forgiven of Father and keep that relationship with God the Father. You must forgive them. Or you're going to be miserable. Try me on this. Think about your life. Your misery is grounded in unforgiveness most of the time. Matthew 18. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. As many as seven times. Rabbinical teaching in the day, three times. Because three times in the Old Testament, you see three times of forgiving. The fourth time, the hammer comes down. So Peter's going to be more holy and use the perfect number seven. Forgive him seven times, right? How many times do I have to forgive the person who sins against me? Seven times? 
Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In another passage, it's seven times 70 times. Somewhere between 77 times and 490 times is how often you're going to forgive the person who sins against you. But you don't understand. They keep doing it. Yep, forgive them. Or, or understand there's going to be a blockage in your temporary forgiveness from God the Father and you're going to be miserable. James 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. For judgment is without mercy for one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is ultimately, ultimately true for us, beloved. God's mercy triumphs over judgment against us, yes? His mercy for us is greater than His judgment for us. His mercies that we find is Christ. The forgiveness we find in Christ, it's greater than His judgment. And even today, we're forgiven of our sins as we would confess those sins and ask God to forgive us of those sins. That same level is what we should be giving to others. No, no, you don't understand. They did this against me. It's a valid complaint. I'm going to have my justice, my vengeance, my judgment. I'm going to look down my nose until they make it right. No. You forgive. You forgive. Somewhere between 77 and 490 times. I don't know. Pick the person. I guess Emily, because my wife's the closest person to me. So my wife sins against me at times. I can assure you I have sinned against her far more than 77 to 490 times. And she me. Forgive. You are forgiven ultimately. You're forgiven now as you would confess your sins to Father and seek forgiveness. Forgive. If you won't, you're going to be miserable. There's a real sense in which God is going to withhold his forgiveness from you. Not ultimately today. You aren't going to feel forgiven. You're not going to feel forgiven. You're not going to experience forgiveness. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be miserable. I know some of you. I'm looking at some of you. Some of you understand this to be true. In your life right now, you realize you are not forgiving some people or someone or something or some circumstance, and it's making you miserable. And I won't go too far into it, but two seconds, think about how many times you've sinned against God or against even that person. Even if you have a valid complaint, here's what you must do. Forgive. Luke, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Is forgiveness an act of mercy? Absolutely it is. It's indebtedness. You sinned against me, you owe me something. It is merciful to forgive that. Yes? Yes? Be merciful. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. This Father you're praying to for forgiveness of your sins. Forgive us our sins because we forgive others their sins against us. God, do that because of that. And if not, I get it why I'm miserable. Keep chastening me, God. Give me a heart of forgiveness. And forgive us 
our sins because we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, everyone who sins against us. We all have legitimate complaints against people in our lives. We also have a lot of illegitimate complaints that we think are legitimate. But I'm going to give you the legitimate ones. I'm going to give me the legitimate ones for right now. Actually legitimate people that have sinned against us in, in some people's lives in pretty heinous ways. Pretty damaging ways. See, I've pastored people that I can see the connection as clear as day. The reason they abuse is because they were abused. And they haven't forgiven their abuser. They haven't forgiven the person who sinned against them. And in that unforgiveness, they act out. You want freedom from some types of sexual sin? Forgive your abuser. You want freedom from financial bondage? Forgive the person who ruined you financially. Or you're going to be miserable. Our lack of forgiveness, it only causes us pain and sorrow as we are experiencing a lack of forgiveness from God in the temporary. I keep telling you this, but experientially in my own life, I know this to be true. I know it to be true in my pastoral life. I know it to be true. Most of you actually know it as well. I watch a lack of forgiveness cause great strife in the marriages of this church. I watch a lack of forgiveness cause great strife in the marriages of this church. Husbands who've made bad financial decisions and their wives haven't forgiven them and they hold it over their heads and they bring it up any chance they get. Wives who have mothered their husbands and husbands who won't forgive them and remain frustrated and angry because they keep getting mothered. Causes strife in your marriages. Siblings who won't forgive other siblings. Parents who won't forgive their children. I watch it happen. And you know who's miserable? The one who won't forgive. That's who's miserable. That's the one who cries when they sit in front of me. The one who won't forgive. Or that's the one who gets really positional and really judgmental and really looks down their noses to make sure I know how bad that other person is to them. (laughs) You know why you're miserable? Because you don't forgive, that's why. Just this week, I counseled no fewer than four people I experienced this with. Where I sat with them and I watched them live in unforgiveness. And and, and expressing their miserable concerns and angst and anxiousness and worry about that. I mean... 
I, 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 mean, I'm not, I get it. I get it. I get it. People do things that are really bad. I, I don't know how to. I don't. But see, I do things that are really bad. You do things that are really bad. We expect our Father to forgive us. We want that relational joy. Return to me the joy of your salvation. Well, then forgive. Stop carrying around unforgiveness. We had a family that went to this church for a long time and the wife would not, could not, did not forgive her husband and she was the most miserable woman I've ever been around. Because she would not, could not, it appears, forgive. And wondered, why am I so miserable? Why do I walk around like a cancer? Because you are so justified in your judgment against your husband who did these real things. He really did do them. And you won't forgive. Closing thought. While God will never forsake his unforgiving children, he will never forsake his unforgiving Christians, we're not talking about Forgiveness for the sins that were nailed to the cross. You're forgiven yesterday's, today's, and tomorrow's. That will not change, Christian. He will withhold forgiveness from them. He will withhold temporary forgiveness from them. We pray that God would forgive us for our sins that cause relational strife with Him. Our sins cause relational strife with God. Strife with God. As we forgive those whose sin causes relational strife with us. We ask God to forgive us our sins that cause relational strife with Him. Look, I'm, I'm forgiven. I'm in Christ. I am His child. I am praying to my Father who is for me, will never leave me, who will chasten me. That Father, I confess to Him. Father, I do things. I don't know how you keep loving me. I can't imagine how you keep loving me. But forgive me. Forgive me. I know you have, but forgive me now. As I would forgive others, because I will. Because of who you are and what you've done. This albatross that you carry around of unforgiveness, repent, turn away from it and forgive. Every one of you needs to hear me. I watch it in everybody's life. I watch it in my own life. Stop being unforgiving. Leave, let your husband off the hook. Let your wife off the hook. Let the brother or sister off the hook. Forgive them and then go to God and seek forgiveness for your own and for ours. And don't argue with me about, this is what Jesus tells us to pray. He's not telling you to be afraid of your salvation. He's telling you you must forgive because you've been forgiven, even if you have a valid complaint. And if not, God's going to withhold forgiveness from you. 